3: 18 plus. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the More Over Cod Podcast.
0: Hello, good evening, welcome to this week's More Over Podcast. The only rugby podcast that gives you the news, views, and opinion on the weekend's rugby action over the West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at More Over Podcast. We are More Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook, and you can find all of our podcasts on Anchor and Apple Podcasts. And pretty soon. As an exciting development, you will be able to tell your Alexa to play More Lover Podcast. How about that? Ooh. Ooh. Alexa, play the all Over Podcast in multiple rooms, in multiple houses. Um, I'm just waiting for all that to be approved after Adam from the uh More Lover Podcast conglomerate family, uh Long Podcast, um managed to get their podcast on Alexa, which is you and I
4: have very different definitions of what's uh, exciting.
0: Well, you are a curmudgeon leaf. So, <laughs> there you go. Um, you've already heard there Chinese lensman, nation's favorite um,
4: visual technician. Welcome, Doug. Visual technician? You know, I'll be with that description, though. What the fuck is that?
0: I don't know, mate. You tell me. It sounded good, though. Uh, did it? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> You made I'm him sound like a window dresser you're not a yeah, visual I'm... not a visual technician i mean he's Just, nothing uh, to look at either so
4: sure sure we'll go with visual technician why not
0: okay mate <laughs> uh you've also heard the nicest man in cornish rugby podcasting ben eustace Evening. welcome ben and back from his uh, welsh hiatus um housewives favorite and everyone's favorite farm vet welcome back phil how you doing? You were very, um,
2: very chipper today. Well,
0: you know, at the end of last week's podcast, I, I thought that I might have to throw all my podcasting equipment in the sea. Um, but things are very different, aren't they? Um, but it's good it's to know. Ama- that
4: it's amazing what a freshly shorn set of spuds can do for your life, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> a really freshly
0: shorn scrotum. Um, not yet there isn't, Doug, but we'll, we'll, we won't be able to talk about that for a little while. yeah okay. um, one thing I, I will say, Phil, is that one of our long-term, uh, long-time listeners managed to get about three quarters of the way through last week's podcast without realising you weren't on it.
2: It says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> let's let's be honest though. He isn't really my target audience. No, he's he's more of a Ben fan. My number one. He an only uh, fan. A, a life-sized cardboard cutout of Ben strapped to the ceiling in his bedroom. <laughs>
0: I must say, Ben, you're looking you're looking rather dashing in uh, in your Canterbury Lions
1: top.
4: Yeah, it's nice l- to Lions last, top. last times,
1: not not Is, the new one.
4: No. But I haven't sent us those yet.
1: No, and I, they, are they are. They un- the, if they do one of the whole zip ho- hoodies, if one of them came our way, it'd be very so, nice. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd love
0: to hear from anybody at Canterbury. Uh, I mean. They used to be. So, uh, yeah. Um, shall we talk about some rugby? Oh, that'd be nice. Uh, hands up, by way of a show of hands, after 80 seconds on, on Saturday, who thought England were going to win that test match? Because I, for one, nearly turned it off. Literally, like, I, and I'd not be even being sort of facetious when I say that. As soon as they scored, as soon as France scored, and let's be honest, it was an exceptional try. Um, you could argue a bit of a poor box kick from from Ben Youngs, but they dragged England around the field. Anthony Watson gets done on the outside and uh, and Teddy Thomas or Edward Thomas scoots in in the corner um. And that's a big, is a big but, you know, team, teams will score exceptional tries and France are a very good team. What I wasn't expecting was England's response,
1: Ben. Um, well, I was just trying to show you, but I had a background on, so, but um, I did say before the game, my prediction was we, we, England were going to win. Um, I wasn't quite as confident once uh, DuPont scored. And it was one of those tries where it was, it was great play by DuPont, but normally a little touch like that ends up going to ground and I thought ah, oh, luck's out again. Um he gets a lot of that sort of stuff DuPont doesn't he? I mean you could argue he makes his own luck. Oh yeah that's the, the better the better you are the luckier you get aren't you? But you know quite often you see a player tries to knock a ball up and it'll it'll go down or someone will knock him over or something like that. Um and France really came out of the blocks but um so did England really um you know, they, they look much better in attack, and um, at times the defence got a bit stretched in the first half, but um, I wouldn't say England were 100%, but, they you know, there's a lot more signs of life than there were before.
2: I, I think you've got it spot on though, Russ. 80 seconds in, and England haven't really done much wrong, but they're seven points down. Yeah, Ben Young's his box kick probably wasn't as contestable as he would have liked, but it was a reasonable exit. And Anthony Watson, for me, he's half a yard, tops slightly too far away from the touchline to get done on the outside. But that's being super, super critical. It was just really great France play. But England then dominated the next 10 minutes and playing some really good, exciting rugby. Semi-aggressive defence. It wasn't like the aggressive defence we saw 18 months, two years ago, Um, but it was a lot better than the passive defence they have been playing. And then with the ball, not afraid to to try different things. Every kick was was for a purpose. Um not afraid to get the ball outside that 12 channel, uh, whether that to be be to forwards or to backs, and and got the try they rightly deserved at the end of it.
0: That was the key, wasn't it? It was it was England, they were moving the ball, they weren't just trucking one up out of contact, one up out of rucks, two up out of rucks. And then eventually getting turned over or, or giving away a penalty. I mean, England didn't give away a penalty on, on Saturday until the 23rd or 24th minute, which, you know, going on on recent history, that is some kind of minor miracle. And when, you know, it starts to reason when you're not infringing and giving away penalties, you're not allowing teams to, to exit. You're not allowing teams to, to get on top of you and, and dominate field position.
1: I think England yeah it's the age old story of, of when they get quick ball and front football they're they're very effective and they attack with quite a lot of creativity and um you know and Billy had a, another good game um and so did so did his brother and you know it's no surprise that the last two games where they've got more front football um Youngs has looked much better and um you know Ford is playing well at the moment and that makes a difference um you had a little bit I think more confidence uh, in the fullback um I wouldn't say Malins has got me 100 percent convinced but he was definitely a step up on how Daly's been playing um and you know I think uh that sort of frees the, the wingers up a little bit. Um, I would say, I think what Phil said, where, where he said about Watson just being, a, a, you know, maybe a foot out of position or however much it was. I thought that was kind of a lot of what happened with England on Saturday. They were a lot better, but there was just a little bit of still not quite being 100% of the races. So a lot of those turnovers in the, in the second half um, were just that it just wasn't quite all knitting together. Um, but I mean it's a good win against you know a French side that were probably favourites
2: I think you've picked on that exactly right Ben if you look at um, there's a couple of turnover penalties attacking turnover penalties so player runs in gets tackled two French players straight to I mean they're they the France back row row is a thing of beauty but two players straight over the ball from there from their angle and then either you get Ben Hill comes in from the side or somebody has to comes in a bit late and gets pinged for, for holding on it's because that support player isn't hundred percent connected to the ball carrier um, and they're, they're just niggling little penalties that's that's all they are as opposed to us getting pinged for diving on top of the ball for um, slowing down the release in defence for offside for things like that. I think you go, you go through that team and um, everybody did their job reasonably well. There are some people who did their job very well, but I don't think there was anybody there who you'd you'd look at them and go, you've kind of cocked up there. You've, you've let the side down. Um, But then a lot of that comes from playing the right kind of ball. And yeah, it was a couple of times when Ben Young's when we had a bit of forward possession and Ben Young's put, put a kick in, but the kick that Ben Young's was putting it in, he was putting it in because they were kind of one and a half phases or half a phase after a turnover and he knew that there was a gap at the back and they were good sensible possession kicks as opposed to kicking because he doesn't really know what to do. Um, I still don't think he's the answer for England at nine. I think his delivery is too slow, but when he makes sniping runs and he keeps the defence honest, he adds an extra dimension over somebody who's just going to be a quick passer of the ball.
0: That's the, that's the key though, Phil, isn't it? Where you mentioned Ben Young's keeping the defence honest. It's very easy to defend against a team that is one-dimensionally kicking after one or two phases of, of, every, of every piece of play. Equally, it's also fairly easy to defend against teams that are, that are running from everywhere because you could employ a rush defence tactic. What is harder to defend against is a team that is mixing up its manner of attack. And if a team is, is kicking when you rush and then pressing when you're passive, all of a sudden you've, you've got front football. And you've got an ability to play expansive rugby is is probably a bit strong. You know, we don't. No one's crying out for expansive rugby where people are just throwing it about like sevens. What they they're, they're asking for is is to utilise the field. And I think on Saturday that's the one thing that England did very, very, very well. They pulled France about to all. All all pieces of the pitch, which France also did to England. Let's not forget, you know, France are a very good team, and with ball in hand. And 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 you know their second try was a was a testament to that. Although some people calling it the best try of the Six Nations so far, I think is a bit a bit much. Some of England's defence during that passage of play was questionable, in
1: my opinion. But, I think you're right, but if you look at that move, It's I a mean, great I move. I can't. I I don't think I've seen that before, where where you've uh, the ball's gone over the top of the line out to the to the crash runner, yeah, and then he's checked and hit a man looping round, and then there was at, at least one, I think, two dummy runners. So that move executed is gonna just comp- it's it's gonna stretch any back line because I think yeah you're right because there's there's the surprise of that um, of that loop plus. And then you're looking up to see dummy runners come. And, and it was the gap where, I think it was Jelly Bear, wasn't it? It was quite, kind of went through the, the gap and lo- looped the pass over the top. And that's where the sort of, um, the break happened. Um, but I think that was, that move executed. But like like um, my brother said, they won't be able to do it again.
2: Yeah, because, I think you know, well, that's the, obviously something they've worked really hard on in training. And as Ben says, it's it's not just about, so your natural thing is a, is a long ball over the top to a crash runner. They take it up the middle. And then your next phase of, of kind of bluffing is an inside pass there to your 14 running a, running a tight line. And Thomas was there for that tight line as well. So you've got one player's eyes automatically on that ball carrier. next player's eyes looking for that inside runner. You can't have a third set of eyes looking on that loop. And that and that was what made it. That gave them a man overlap. But how many times do you see sides butcher a man overlap from fifteen yards out? It happens fifteen times out of sixteen. Yet yeah, they they did execute it fantastically. It was it was a really good try. To be to be fair, first three tries were really good. They yeah. like any team would be happy with scoring any try like that. Agreed, agreed.
0: And that obviously that obviously sort of led to another passage of, of England sustained pressure and, and a couple of penalties, which which led towards half-time. Before before we sort of move through the game, I want to just highlight a, a couple of things. Tom Curry, um, Doug, you mentioned him last week, and we were talking about force equals mass over acceleration or speed or whatever you said. And yeah. he, I mean... He carried, I thought he carried on Saturday better than he has maybe ever carried before in an England shirt. And he was able to get go forward because he was accelerating into the line. How often do you see players trucking it up and, and almost slowing down before they reach the contact?
2: Well, I, I kind of made that point on the WhatsApp group about Billy. There was a couple of times in the second half where I think he... I don't know whether he slowed into contact, but he certainly didn't accelerate into it, and he was quite upright as well. So his his force was was quite upright and, and almost driving up as opposed to driving forwards. Um, and I, I just would have liked him at that point going, I'm running at two decent-sized French people. I'm going to get tackled here. Let's stick my head down and, and really push hard into it I I felt like he made it a bit easier but you're right Curry every time he carried the ball he's picking up speed as he's going he's catching it running and accelerating through that more Um, but he's still young it's a part of his game that he's obviously working on and developing and it's scary how young and how good he is
0: yeah and the other person I wanted to pick out who may probably hasn't come in for as much praise as I think he probably deserves. And I will, I will happily eat some, some humble pie over this is Charlie yields. Now we mentioned last week again, I believe that since Johnny Hill has been coming in, has come in Marrow has been the sort of dominant force the lead the leader of the pack as it were with regards to calling the line outs and, and taking a lot of that responsibility on his shoulders. And when he used to play with Launchbury and when he played with George Cruz, they would do, they would do that work, allowing marrow to just be a general nuisance and quietly and efficiently at the weekend. I thought Charlie yours did an absolutely fantastic job, not only of, of, doing his own job very, very well, but enabling Maru Itoji to do the things that he does best.
2: He's a grunt of a second row. And I mean that in the nicest way possible, because every team needs a grunt of a second row. Is he the best grunt of a second row that we've got? Absolutely not. But he probably had his best game in an England shirt. I, I think if Laundry's fit, he gets nowhere near that A
0: hundred percent. You're right. But I think what what he offers, uh, yes, you mentioned the, being the grunt of the second row. What what he offers as the grunt of the second row is also, I saw an interview with him and him and Maro played a lot together through the England age groups. They've played together a lot over the years. And I think, you know, he's done that a lot with George Cruz, as I say and And that maybe that influence or the responsibility, even just the responsibility of of owning the line out, you know just relinquishes a little bit to enable marrow to to play the game that he that he wants to play
2: i thought I thought Marrow was fantastic, but relatively for him relatively anonymous. if that can make any kind of sense, I think what he did, everything he did was fantastic. But he seemed like he was having to do less stuff, which probably you're right, comes yeah. down to Yules doing so, a lot do more we, Although he although he gave away a penalty. So how there's absolutely no chance he's getting in a lion shirt now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I think there were some people searching
1: for some nibbles at the weekend for, for that. Um mm-hmm. but I, I suspect his job was probably uh make DuPont's life a misery. Yeah. And then everything else was a bonus. And 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 to be fair, we, between um, him and Curry and Wilson—they—they they pretty much managed it by the second half. Yeah, I—I
2: I would love to see a stat on the most um, charge downs from box kicks in the Six Nations by a single player because I reckon he would be top of that list.
1: Without, without, I think there's been more in this tournament than in the, probably the last four combined. Yeah. Did you know that England in, over the
0: Six Nations so far, England have conceded? I think it was 42 penalties. In the in the four games that they've played so far,
2: what well, each game,
0: in total, it's, it's felt like that at times. Yeah, well, yeah. How many do you think Marotoji has given away of those forty-two? Ten,
2: isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So,
0: it's which is which is high to
2: give away a quarter, but when your game is to play on the edge, you're going to give away more penalties.
0: Yeah, but if, did you notice if Henry
2: like, Slade had given away ten penalties, that would be an absolute disaster.
0: But did you know it like? He was still going for those charge downs, but um, Andrew Brace kind of, to say refereed it properly, is maybe that's just because it went in our favour. But to me, it it was. uh, It's hard. It's hard for me to explain because he was still there being a nuisance without crossing, overstepping the the line. Yeah. Now, whether it that wasn't... was a conscious decision or whether he's been advised this week and they've talked about it and they said, actually Marrow, be a nuisance. Even if you even if he thinks you come in, just make sure you're on side. Don't play. Take take a, get to the, the where you think the offside line is and then take a step back. And then go from there.
2: Yeah, I think there's probably a bit of both there. I think um... He has he he, you can see when he's close to the edge. You watch it and you go, oh, that's a bit tight. And I didn't think that anywhere near as much on Saturday as I have another game. So I think he probably was half a yard further back. But I think Brace refereed the game fantastically. Now, um, I think it's rugby pass have come out today and criticised him because um, there was a moment when Jalabert was running through on a kick and Henry Slade. Um, knocked it out of his hands, and the ball went dead. And rugby passer claiming that he deliberately knocked the ball dead, and therefore it should have been a penalty try and a yellow card. Which he is didn't
0: touch the probably ball. Probably he? Th- he actually knocked Jalabert's arm.
2: Which I was going to say is probably the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, and then there was a moment towards the end, where Tom, at the end of the first half, where Tom Curry turned the ball over, um, and rugby passer saying there's no clear release. Um, no clear release from Curry before going back on the ball. Well, you know what? Equally, when uh, Tao Fafanua um, turned the ball over, his hands were, both hands were on the deck before he got his hands anywhere near the ball, exactly the same as the Ben Hill one. So you, it's, it's probably one for one on that. All in all, though, Brace to let the game flow. There was no, uh, there was no ambiguity. the the rucks. I've said too many times about the fact that the rucks were, are a mess generally. The rucks from both sides were immensely clean. The ball was there, clear to be seen. Couple of players over, sorted. Um, both sides could have got pinged for for bodies on the ground in attack, but it was something and nothing. There was nothing dangerous about anything. The game flowed. Uh, he made the right decisions, and when he wasn't sure, he asked. Joyless Neville, who got it spot on.
0: It's it's funny that, you know, for once, it's, it's, there's no criticism of, of officials. And that's not just because England won, right? People have said, oh, yeah, you're only saying that because England won. Had that Maratogi try not been given, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid. Had France scored at the end when we gave away the Ben Earl penalty, which was the right decision... Like the For him to overturn that penalty and turn it around is the right decision. However flippantly people might talk about, you know, Olivon saying, look at the, the big screen or doing whatever, you know, the right decision was reached and I'm all right with that. I've got no problem with that. But the fact that other media outlets are saying, oh, I'll criticise this one single marginal penalty incident for clear release. Or it just goes to show, doesn't it, that actually you know, there wasn't anything particularly contentious about the, the game I, I, whatsoever
1: the other thing is i think if uh, Itoje's try hadn't been given i think we'd have scored anyway probably because there was a penalty advantage and it yeah. it just got got to that point where we were down in that corner and and having sort of labored a little bit due to giving away probably six penalties in a row at, at our own breakdowns we'd actually just, i think sort of broken the dam of of, of um of uh resist french resistance <laughs> oh well played <laughs> <laughs> um and uh yeah i think i think that try was going to happen whatever you know whether it was given then or if it was at the next more the inevitable more um i well, mean I, well, one person i'd like to give a bit of credit to was um Daly because he has you know we've been very critical of him but he came on and he, he played pretty well. Um, like I think
0: against but tired defences and broken field, Elliot Daly can be an absolute weapon. And and in the 23 shirt, he is, you know, alongside Jack Noll, I think Elliot Daly could probably be the, the perfect candidate to fill a 23 shirt yeah. in anything. I, I mean, I, I would other, guess he's probably was... next
1: cab off the rank on the wing as well. And I just think, you know, my, my criticism of him is he's not a great fullback, not that he's not a great rugby player. Um, so I'm pleased that he came on and, and played well.
2: The, the other thing is, for the majority of the time when he was on, England were relatively dominant. It wasn't like, it was, it wasn't like he was trying to turn us from a passive team and, and counter-attack or, or make the right decision. His, yes, he, what he did, he did very well. But what he did was what he's good at. And actually, the, the 20 minutes he was on the pitch, we didn't need him for what he isn't so good at. Um, just on the brace thing as well, he he got the scrums spot on, I think. Uh, Mako was massively at fault for the first penalty. He got, got too long, got his legs too far behind him and dropped to the floor. And then he had a couple of scrums where he got the better of who else. And then there was uh, when Aldegary came on, there was a bit of scrum porn with 16 people <laughs> all pushing and it not moving at all. Yeah. But no, I think, yeah, all in all, I think Brace did fantastically. But Russ, you opened this game by saying who after 80 seconds thought we were going to win. With 80 seconds to go, I still didn't think we were going to win. But. I had a massive smile on my face. That's the first yeah. time I reckon this year I've watched a game of rugby and I've truly enjoyed watching a game of rugby because we had two sides that were playing well. A referee didn't want to be the centre of attention. And actually, not only were they playing well, they were playing in the in the, in the the right spirit and they were playing good rugby. Um, and not that I want to see England lose, but if they would have lost by a couple of points, you would have gone, yeah, well done, France. You were the better team yeah. on the day. Or you, you take your chances slightly better. I agree. I agree, it's I agree with that. That's what rugby was about. Rugby was the winner on Saturday.
0: I, I agree with that and you know, I said it at the time. I had so much fun watching the game. I like, I've, I can't remember the last time I watched England play and enjoyed the game. Even like probably the I could even say the World Cup semi-final. I can't say I particularly Enjoyed that until afterwards, as good as we were. Um, but to watch England play in the manner in which they did against a, an excellent, excellent French side. And they are going, you know, home soil World Cup for them in, in two years' time. They are going to be very, very close to it. If they keep on the same trajectory, you know, and they've got Untamak to come back in. I don't know where he fits into that team. Is he going to fit in it at 12, a at 13, but then you've got Vakatawa. You know, they've got l- almost limitless options at the moment, the French, as to, to how they could set their team up. And just to, to offer that, uh, that intent for England to balance a kicking game with a run game, you know, they did do some aimless kicking in the first, towards the end of the first half, and it was all looking a little bit disjointed. Um, and they did. Find themselves isolated at periods in that second half when Ben mentioned that they had uh, they gave away sort of four or five penalties in the midfield, didn't they? When they were they were going off the feet or they were holding on, but France were turning that round. They were kicking to the corner and and England were were turning them over. They were winning penalties of their own. So that goes to show that you know the the defensive capabilities which we know they had and. Couple that with some actual attacking intent, it made for an incredible test match. It was just an in- an incredible match of international rugby, as far as I'm concerned. Just, and the winner just, to was show how,
2: just to show how enjoyable it was, usually somewhere around what I think is about 25 minutes into the game, I'll have a little look at the clock. And recently it's been 15 minutes on the clock and I'm thinking, Christ, I've got to watch another 65 minutes of this. <laughs> I, I looked up thinking it was about twenty-five minutes, and it was two minutes till half time.
0: Yeah, and obviously this week is is a different it's a different challenge for England and, and Ireland will will play quite a big kicking game. And you mentioned Malins and Daly earlier on, Ben. Um, Malins will probably start on Saturday. You would think against against Ireland. But he will be tested a lot more under, under the high ball and, and those long kicks yeah, than I, he was on Saturday.
1: Th- well, you know, you know he will be. And, and if you saw the game on Sunday, that was a definite Irish tactic. And um, they they gave Hogg a really difficult afternoon. Um, I I think Malin's played well enough. And I think he's definitely worth giving a go. Um he's another slash fullback. He's a sort of 10 stroke 15. And I, and that always makes me a bit nervous. I think he was definitely uh, more willing than Daly to come and get the ball, um, you know, in the air. Um, and, you know, I think he's, he's definitely worth a shot in the side to see how he goes. Um, I think. He, I just, I wasn't, Hundred percent, fully convinced. You know that he he's the the final answer at fullback. But I think his performance was was a bit like England's. It was a kind of seven out of ten. And and you know he is playing well for his club, so that's a bonus. Um, I do think what I've seen of Stewart and De Glanville, they look maybe a little bit a bit more natural in the position. But they're both very young, so. um I think he's going to be in position now for probably the next 12 months.
2: Um, another player who came in on Saturday that got switched in, who I think is absolutely nailed on his place for, for this week for the Ireland games, Luke Caron Dicky. I just think he is, yeah, he, he overthrew one ball, um, but I just think he has a, a higher level of abrasiveness and uh, both both in attack and defence, than, than what Jamie George is offering. Jamie George is probably a, a more refined athlete, but out of your hooker, if you've got somebody who can just be a bit nasty, physical, in your face, make, make really dominant tackles, but also just carry the ball straight at people. Um, yeah, he's, for me, he's uh, he's got to start on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I think having... having... L C D instead of a fairly rusty Jamie George, should we say, coupled with an organized line out run by Charlie Uls, almost made may have made Kawadiki's sort of set job a little bit uh, a little bit easier. But I think you know, what he offers as a as a jackler, as a carrier, you know, I'm a big fan of his anyway. And I know that people think he, he, he'd be more effective off the bench. But, you know, yeah, as a the starter's worth.
2: Because, because that French second row is so big, and by big, I mean kind of bulky, um, the, the one thing they don't really have is a particularly good defensive line out game, um, and, unless they have Wokey on. Wokey is the, is the one back row player who can get up there and get up quick. Um, and challenge and the advantage of calling your own line out is is you decide when the player goes up and then when the ball goes up so you should always have a bit of an advantage and France didn't seem to majorly compete, it will be a different ball game against Ireland Um, the the set play will be a bit more tricky there
0: Cool, Um, any more on England before uh, before we move on Doug? You've been very oh, I quiet. I know you didn't watch it. Well, so no just if you if you had anything that you wanted to to say about it.
4: Uh, I'm kind of over England in this Six Nations. Kind of over England in in general, really. Just as a sure. just
0: as a country.
4: Early two thousands England football team, as I mentioned before, um, I I went on a ten year boycott of England football. Um while they were picking Lampard and Gerrard in the midfield. I'm getting that way with Ford and Farrell.
0: Interesting. I mean, I, I as a bit of a... Oh,
4: well, Youngs, Ford and Farrell. Youngs, in fact, Ford and
0: Farrell.
4: I'll go as far as to say that as long as they're picking Ben Youngs, unless I'm working, I won't be watching England.
1: It's a big, big shout.
4: Uh, um, you, you know I'm a big Ford supporter,
1: so... And that, yeah,
4: well, if you I can when, sit there and look me straight in the eye and tell me Marcus Smith isn't better than him, then uh, well done.
1: I think, Ma- I think Marcus
4: Smith
2: is defensively far worse than George yeah. Ford. I think if I you watch, would
4: completely and utterly disagree with that, and, and you're
2: entitled to ba- it, but ba- you're wrong.
4: Ba- based on what, Phil?
2: Based on based on watching him, based on watching him positionally and watching him in the in the tackle, he misses too many tackles. His his position is. Not as good as it should be. And Ford's positional play is better in defence and, so and and he's a stronger tackler as well.
4: I think that that is completely arbitrary and not provable in any way.
2: <laughs> you're, you're right. <laughs> it's entirely an opinion.
4: I think
0: I, I did an interview or I, I had a chat with um, Connor, who is Wibble Rugby, who produced a video that I retweeted today that I watched and it explains that scenario quite well, Doug, and it goes into some some real detail around how England set themselves up and, and what they're trying to achieve moving forward. And it actually opened my eyes a little bit to how England are actually, what they're trying to achieve moving forward. And I've been sceptical of it, and I've panned Eddie Jones as much as the next man. But having watched some different analysis from some, you know, and again, that's just, that's just somebody else's take their opinion on it, but actually it makes a lot of sense what they're trying to achieve. And I'm now a little bit more open-minded to what, to what Eddie Jones and his team are trying to do. I, I think
1: whenever I've seen um, Marcus Smith play, he's one of those players where his, his quality kind of jumps off the screen. And I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, I, I think in sort of sort of terms of st- Style, you can almost draw a bit of an analogy to if if um, Smith's a kind of messy type player, Ford's more like, more sort of like um, savvy. You know, pulls the strings, not quite as flashy, but you know, equally as effective if if you're using him right. Um, and England always look better with him in.
2: Could I just clarify? I'm not saying that Ford is a better fly half than Smith. I'm saying that he's a better defensive fly half than Smith. And I think he probably fits what Eddie Jones wants to do better than Smith. And we've all slated Eddie Jones at, at multiple occasions. Would I like to see Smith in England shirt? I'd love to. But not with Farrell outside him.
0: Yeah. Well, I think one day we probably will. But I think what, you're, <laughs> what, what you'll find What I'd is like that... is,
2: is, is him with a 24-year-old Mike Tindall outside him. Yeah. what? But I'm what not I sure we like... have one. No
1: i like or, to say. Or a 28 year old Will Greenwood.
2: Yeah. Or a 36 year old uh, Jamie Roberts. I'd take <laughs> any of those.
0: George Ford is a better international fly half than Marcus Smith. By virtue of the fact that Marcus Smith has not played any I was going
4: to say that's one of the most ludicrous comments I've ever heard you make, Russ, and there's been plenty of those. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> say it was the most ludicrous. Um, Yep. Uh, well, while we have a coach that'll just sit by and waste talent, I'm not that bothered about watching them. Is it wasting talent if there is a. a it's completely a wasting player. talent when, you, when you're playing nothing games that have no bearing on anything and you're not willing to use these players. It, it, it just. We've been over it a 100 times. It's not, there's no point going over it again. Guy's a dickhead.
2: An Australian dickhead. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of times when Clive Woodward was under severe pressure and was doing a pretty bad job of coaching England, and he won us a World Cup. And if Eddie Jones does the same in about 15 years' time, I'll probably forgive him. If he doesn't win a World Cup, then, yeah, he's massively wasted talent.
0: I, d- I was just saying, I think my, my mind has been opened a little bit today. Just a little bit. It's just been pushed. The door's been pushed ajar, should we say? Uh, that's all I'm going to
4: say. Form your own opinions. Mate, with enough with enough graphics and enough uh, long words, you can prove that anyone's a brilliant coach.
2: The doors, the doors. Well I, I, what I, I don't understand I is think. how
4: eight years into Eddie Jones as a coach, we're still uh, trying to defend what he's trying to do. He should already be doing it.
1: Hey, I'm, I'm the same with, players I'm... that
4: he had when he got in. If he hasn't got his plan in place after six or seven years, whatever it is, I don't believe there's a plan.
2: I'm not with Russ here. The door is well and truly nailed shut, as far as I'm concerned, on Eddie Jones' England coach. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to watch them and if they play rugby like they did on Saturday, I'm going to enjoy it. The problem is, I know for a fact that they might get one more game like that and then they'll kind of revert to type at some point and go back to that box kicking possessive. It's playing talent. like
4: that. it's playing like that to shut people up on this occasion if there's something on the line there's no way we'll play like that i, I, I did say last week
0: or last week on twitter certainly that this week that, that game against france was england big performance territory wasn't it you know lose to wales poorly lose to scotland after a pretty woeful performance, you know. Come up against France, who so everybody's saying that are best, and it's it was a prime prime Eddie Jones
2: performance. Um, and that Scotland performance has really been put into some kind of uh, yeah. context with what they've done since.
0: Yeah, and also somebody tweeted me today, or tweeted the account when I compared Eddie Jones to Jose Mourinho, and after this one weekend, have said, "Oh, that tweet aged well, And not it?" You know, when someone goes,
2: "Oh." That's aged well, isn't it? When you say something. actually, Actually, Russ, that's exactly what it's done. Yeah. Because that's, that's classic Mourinho territory. He'll win a big game every now and then and buy himself another six months.
0: Yeah. One swallow doesn't make a summer. And just because a good performance is, is had doesn't mean that they're not very, very similar characters that are both stubborn and, and have their own way of doing things, whether that's the right way or the wrong way, it's their way. And you know and that's the only way that matters. That was the comparison, but but there you go. Um, let's move on quickly because we've done forty minutes on England. Uh, very quickly, let's not talk about Wales versus Italy. Italy are absolute garbage. If it's possible, well, they were bad. They've they've been bad for a little while. When they were starting to get better, and. I, I can't even begin. I mean, did you what how much did you watch of Saturday, Ben? Because I know you were like,
1: I, ben, I watched all of it. This is just, yeah, I watched all of it and it was so, it was dull, you know, and that's no, no fault of Wales. Um, it's just through Italy. If Italy do a good thing, they immediately do a bad thing to make up for it. And then there was, three bad things to compound it. There was a break. And I think it was, it was either Bellini or Padovani. I it, he, he made a break and he beat about four tackles and yeah, he it, was thought,
0: B- it was Bellini.
1: Yeah, he were like, yeah. well, great break. And then he just chucked the ball on the floor. And it was that was so italy. They they'll have two or three decent carries. And then someone gives away a penalty at the breakdown. And it, it it's very frustrating to watch because slowly they're getting a core of good players. I quite like the scrum half. Ten's got a bit of flair. Um that, that winger, a good player.
0: The, the Italian wing yeah. they've got is really good, isn't he?
4: But there's a there's a touch of the Worcesters about Italy though. They've they've been slowly getting the core of a good set of players for about fifteen years. Yeah, very true. The, the problem is of the,
2: don't, <laughs> the Worcesters. The problem is Italy don't have any competitive games ever. They come in the Six Nations, they get their butt whipped five matches. Autumn Internationals, they'll play a couple of good sides and get their asses handed to them. And then they'll play one against a, an amateur side and beat them by 10 points and feel good about life. But if you look at their record, they've lost, what is it, 26 Six Nations games on the bank, something like that. And since the Rugby Championship was started, Georgia haven't lost. So they, the guy, they, they need to play more matches against similar teams to get themselves better. It's yeah. like... It's like if you're saying there's a touch of the Worcesters about them, it's like Worcester playing Bristol, Exeter and Harlequins every week and then having one game against Red Room. And then then
0: occasionally running one of them close at home.
1: They're a better better team than Georgia, or they they were last time they played them. That's almost the problem. There isn't a lot of teams on Italy's level. They're not as good as Argentina now.
2: They will become yeah. a better team by playing Georgia more often, by playing Japan more often, by playing matches where there's actually a degree of jeopardy about the outcome. Getting your ass handed to you five five weekends out of seven and then having nine months to consider it doesn't sound like much fun to me.
0: No, no agreed. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it. I definitely don't want to get into a Six Nations, Five Nations, Georgia promotion relegation debate yeah not interested um and then quickly yesterday i didn't see too much of it um i saw bits and pieces yesterday was an absolute festival of sport wasn't it i don't know how much you know you got to watch there was scotland island there was a t20 international there was the players on at the golf there was a couple of football matches i was it was almost spoilt for choice yesterday and uh, Ireland Scotland fell down the pecking order for me. Everybody wanking off Tyke Furlong for doing a step, um, a sidestep in the midfield.
1: That was brilliant, though. To be fair, yeah.
2: the only thing that I wanted to say about it is I can't believe there's still people thinking that James Lowe gets anywhere near a line shirt.
0: Oh, he's terrible, isn't it? He? Well, he's terrible, fucking awful. Ter- Terrible's a bit strong, maybe, but his defensively. Right. Uh, defensively he is an abomination
2: he defensively he reminds me of the game i played at fullback on rugby tour in 2001 in barcelona <laughs> having drank 20 pints the night before i don't know with what... a with a, uh, with a with a concrete uh manhole cover in the middle of the pitch as well that was fun
1: <sighs> it's um this wasn't as, it wasn't as uh, high quality as England-France, but it was very entertaining. There was two complete slapstick tries. Um, I don't know if you've seen them. The Finn,
0: I saw the Finn Russell one.
1: Where, where Hogg kicks it into his own face. Yeah. And then the, the, the first Irish site, uh, try was um, Sexton just putting up and under, and it went over Hogg's head and then bounced in the try area, bounced back over Hogshead. Uh, well, th- three Scottish people ran into each other. <laughs> yeah, and then Henshaw just kind of jogged over and put it down. Um, but the, I was impressed by quite a few players on both sides, actually, in this game. I thought um, Byrne was really good. Um, Connors, the open side for Ireland, was fantastic. Made a couple of huge tackles, some great carries. And, and for all the fuss about furlong. He had a good game as well. Um, but I've been impressed by Henshaw all tournament. Well, him and Ringrose have, have
0: gone back to that partnership. Yeah, they started I, to form before they started circle wanking over Bundyaki.
1: Yeah, and and I think Ringrose didn't have his best game on on Sunday, but you know he, he's he's playing well at, in, as a general rule. But Henshaw, I think, has been outstanding all tournament. Um Keenan's a, a nice fullback as well, Um and you know. The Scottish back row is, is excellent as always. And um that tackle that, by Ty Burn on
0: Van der Merwe. Not Van der Mer- yeah, Duan Van der merver
1: By Furlong.
0: Was it no, it was Ty Burn, wasn't it? On out out wide. Not the, the hit, it was the, the the try
1: saving tackle. Was that Burn? Oh. I thought that was was that not Connors I think that might have been Connors might have been Connors yeah. he had a blue Fantastic, he had a blue scrum cap yeah. on uh,
0: that's all
1: um and there was there was a tackle on I think it was Van der Merwe and the commentator was like oh we should definitely have stepped back inside and then they showed this tackle I think it might have been Henshaw and he absolutely bashed him into touch it was like he had no chance of, of stepping inside but you know it was it was an entertaining game and, and Hugh Jones scored a great try when he came on um, that was probably what you were talking about with Lowe's defence, but um, it still took a bit of finishing. Yeah. Ru- so, Russell struggled a little bit at times, I thought. Um, and they had to bring the scrum, the reserve Scrum off on, on the flank, which was quite good fun as well.
2: Can You've mentioned Russell. Um, so Perry today has put on Facebook X X over. Oh yeah, number.
1: let's read Perry to piston.
2: Well, no, no, but he's put on he's put on Facebook his <laughs> no, Lions team. Let's let's as a, as it currently stands, um, and he's put Sexton at ten. And I've looked at it and I've gone, well, actually Sexton's done as far as I'm concerned. But who is ten for for the Lions? I I think it's probably bigger It'll
1: because be, I think I think it's probably damn bigger. I think if they played in South Africa, it probably would be bigger. But if they play in England, I'm not quite so sure. Um,
0: I think George Ford's got more of a chance this time round than he has in previous
1: years. I, I, well. I do. That would probably be my call. Uh, Depends how Warren Gatland wants to play,
0: doesn't it? Because, uh, you know, we, without di- disappearing down a lion's rabbit hole, if Gatland's going to play the way that Gatland has played pretty much every tour that he's ever been in charge of and wales is that he will have a 12 that will run hard and will run straight so depending and if you know he did play uh, sexton and farrell a little bit in in new zealand but uh, i don't think will be the case against south africa now, i think
1: on that tour you had both of those players almost at their peak. Yeah, Sexton had that long run where he was completely running every show, and so you have to play him, but you also kind of had to play Farrell as well, whereas I don't think either of them are quite as dominant at this point. I mean, my 12 would be Henshaw at the moment. I think I'd go with Henshaw and um, Jonathan Davis. Yeah, I'd be
2: relatively happy with that. Outside Dan Bigger.
0: I, I don't, you know, I don't disagree. I mean, i think... play,
1: play him outside forward, but I'm not sure that Gatland will go with that.
0: Not with Dielende so with, with running <laughs> straight in his face, potentially, but, you know, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Um, maybe we'll do some Lions stuff when it's time to actually talk about the Lions. <laughs>
2: Yeah, fair point. Sorry.
4: Yeah. Uh, I'm just, just let's jotting off. down my starting team just because I haven't got a lot oh, this <laughs> week. Go for it, Doug. No, Do i to... as far as the forwards. My back row.
0: <laughs> Who's your back row? Let, let's, let's talk about a Lions back row quickly.
4: Underhill, Curry, Watson.
0: Interesting. I think Falatao will be there if, if he's fit. Yeah. And I think that... I'd, what I'd like to see is Curry, Falatao, and probably Vunapola starting eight.
4: I would have, I also have Ali Price as my uh nine. I'd have I'm
0: I'm I'm all
1: right with that. I'd be going for Fallatau, Watson, Underhill.
2: I'd be going curry Fallatau Underhill with Watson on the bench. Some uh, different. Oh, uh, well, I could I could quite happily drop in Watson for I could do Curry Falatai Watson. Be quite happy with that.
0: I mean, Hamish Watson was.
2: He's a fucking machine. machine. He's a
4: fucking machine, isn't he? Let's be honest. It's just unbelievable. He he hit a Scotsman in contact, took a ball into contact, and he hit an Irishman five yards backwards. I just bounced him off five yards backwards. I Can't remember who it was, but I remember what I was watching it, and I thought, I haven't seen Billy Vanipola do that to anyone ever.
2: We've, we've, um I'm sure we've all played with those kind of players who you look at them and you go, oh well, yeah, you're, you're kind of quite solid, but that's all there is, and and you're not the biggest player, and they just smash people. Their technique is obviously. Powers. Yeah, a, generate power guy, through the.
0: We contact. had a guy at Nuki. I can't, don't know if you remember him, Ben. Like I don't remember what his surname was. I want to say it was like Josh Grant or something like Josh that. Josh Gray. Josh Gray. Right, he turned up, in this. So there was two. Do you remember the South African guy with the dreadlocks that turned up? Yes. Right, and Johan. Johan, and he he was looked like this surf dude with dreadlocks and rocked up at Nuki one so day. He plays for, for the sale now. Well, and, he
1: he rocked up. And and he was we were promised a South African prop. Yeah. So I had visions of like Oz Durant turning up. What was he about five (laughs) foot seven with blonde dreadlocks?
0: Yeah. And he was fucking
1: incredible. Like he must have weighed about ten and a half. Twelve stone. stone, Yeah. But but I mean, for a prop, he was an exceptional open side flanker, wasn't he? Oh yeah. He he had these blonde dreadlocks, and he played a game away at Camborne, and he. He taped his dreadlocks up with with, um, silver electrical tape. (laughs) He got punched so many times that (laughs) he was taken off for his own safety. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Josh
0: Gray, I mentioned Josh Gray then very quickly. He was another one that was, he turned up sort of out of nowhere again and he played in the back row and he was, Fairly slight of stature, probably about six foot, six foot one, slight in stature. But power, like he, was, he was probably, I don't know, let's say he was about 13
2: stone-ish.
0: You know, not big by any stretch of imagination, but carrying power just used to literally knock people back. And defensively,
1: I don't think I ever saw him be moved backwards in a tackle ever. He put in the biggest hit I've ever seen on, on a pitch I've been on in his first game, I think it was maybe Roseland or someone like that. And he, he hit some guy. I mean, he'd have probably got a straight red for it nowadays, but it was, you know, chest height and he demolished him. You know, it was just, just completely smoked the guy. And yeah, it, Watson is like that, isn't he? There's, there's not a huge amount to him. You know, he's, he's a big guy. If he walked in the pub, yeah, you know, no one would be messing with him. But, yeah. but you know, in terms of international bat rows, he's, you know, he's not physically average, outstanding average at best. Yeah, but you know, like Doug says, if he hits someone, they stay hit, and he, he's like a little weeble, isn't he? He's, he's really hard to put down. So... And it's not
2: it's not just that; it's not just the physicality. He's he's probably the best currently fit player over over the ball as well in the northern hemisphere. He's the best at at that kind of turnover game, getting his hands on the ball. He's physically got, strong, low gets center low of gravity, center of gravity. What
0: yeah. Well, although Tom Curry might have something to say about that, and Sam Underhill.
2: Yeah, but I Sam just, Underhill isn't 100% fit, and yeah. Tom Curry and Tipperick would be wrong.
0: Fair enough.
4: <laughs> um,
0: l- let Let's move on. Have, uh, have premiership... we Doug enough time?
1: Have we? Bought <laughs> <to> <laughs> have enough? you got 15 uh, yet? Uh,
4: well, for my for my backs? Yeah, have you got a 15? Yeah. So, uh, Mako, Owen, Sinclair, Ryan, Atoje, Underhill, Curry, Watson, Price, Farrell, Henshaw, Slade, Daly, Hogg, Re Summit.
0: Interesting. Re Summit. Oh, Hog at 15. You've, you've yeah. gone wing a of, wing of fullback winger there, haven't you? Yeah. Don't, don't like I, what you've I, done there.
1: I, just as a as an aside, I think it does change the side that they won't be playing in South Africa because I, I think if you're playing in South Africa altitude, you would need your best guys in the air in your back free. But because, because it looks like it's not going to be over there, it kind of probably adjusts the thinking a little bit.
4: What do you reckon to the proposed home Lions tour? I thought the best idea I'd heard was to go
1: to France. But... I, I think in a world where
0: they wank off repeatedly about player welfare and they have an opportunity for some of the world's best players to play some less games, that it's an opportunity not to do it in this year. And put,
1: it, and put it back two years, play well, it in the p- other
0: gap between the world. Potentially, or just or just say, you know what, you know, let's just scrap it. But also, on on the complete flip side of that coin, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for people to go and watch the British Lions that wouldn't ordinarily get the opportunity to watch the British Lions. So, you know, if South Africa come and tour over here... And play what I that proposed schedule that I've seen where they play Japan and they play somebody else. I mean, I'd like I'd like to see there be a, a premiership barbarians. I know we discussed this before. I would love there to be a premiership barbarians in there and like a pro fourteen Celts or something in there. Um, but seeing Japan come over and play a couple of matches, um South Africa A I can't remember who else was in there. I want to say USA, but it wasn't USA, was it? There was there was some other some other bits and pieces, but um, I I like it. You know, if it's if it's giving people an opportunity. What's that going on
4: there?
0: Phil Phil's getting
4: my
2: my, I'm swiping through Twitter, and we got the music from the Skoda ad.
0: Right. Um, but yeah, I okay. know. What do you think, Doug? Or have you got to contractually keep your opinions to yourself?
4: No, um, I I think it may be undervalued the historic nature of a Lions tour at home. And it, I think it may be looked back upon with fondness and it may introduce. I think it'd be absolutely incredible for the domestic game. I think rugby clubs will be heaving with new recruits after this, if should it happen.
0: And that is probably only, what the club what is needed.
2: Only yeah, if yeah. it's on, only if it's on free-to-air TV. That doesn't mean that necessarily it has to be a terrestrial telly. But like they've done with the football, you know, if I, it's I, if it's accessible, a home lions tour would absolutely massively consolidate rugby fans together, and I think that would be a great
1: thing. Are they talking about playing playing games in places like Exeter and... Newcastle. Yeah.
4: I I would imagine there'll be games around the country. You know, I, I just think the domestic game and the amateur game is struggling at the moment. There's not a lot of people interested. There's clubs are leaking players. I think this could return clubs to putting out fourth teams and you know really reinvigorate the the local game and put money into clubs that could badly need it um i think it should be looked upon as a sort of a lifeline for club rugby in this country and wales and scotland and ireland um And I I do think they'll, you know, when you hear stories about the Lions, this could very well go down as being one of the the great Lions tours because there will never be another one like it.
1: Yeah, well, because they're they're already playing Japan in uh, Scotland, aren't they? So you'd think they'd probably have a test in Twickenham, test in Dublin, test in Cardiff. Um, And then there's probably about, what, Five, six other games they could spread around Take South Africa back
2: to Brighton The proposed schedule Which got leaked But we don't know whether it's actually genuine or not Had four tests Two at Twickenham, one at Millennium One at Aviva Um, Nothing nothing at Murrayfield Also had a South Africa game against A uh, I think they called it a French Barbarians So effectively a, a top 14 Barbarians which I think would be quite exciting. Um, And then had Japan and the USA over here as well for for various different fixtures along the way. And it looked quite exciting. Um, But I mean, the big thing about the Lions tour is 90% of genuine rugby fans will never get to go on a Lions tour. They will be financially priced out of them. And Doug's right, this might be the only opportunity that we've got to actually engage in that in a UK setting.
4: Yep, I I also think uh, Brian Moore raised a really really great point about um, the cl- the club should be offered the tickets, at least some yeah. of the tickets. Um, whether or not that takes, I remember when I went to my first FA Cup final in 1990, it was because the football team that my dad played for got two tickets from the FA. Um, and I think it would be a Really great opportunity for the RFU to give something back to clubs that they seem to be just be taking from at the moment. Um, be yeah, that, be they, that they seem to um, be, be that community coaches or funding or television rights or or whatever you like. It's a good opportunity for the RFU and, and the unions in general to. Um, Show the community game that they are actually invested. So,
2: so I've just, I, found, I've I just found it. Uh, clubs used to be. Yeah, sorry. Go
0: ahead. I was going to say I've just found um, the schedule, the proposed schedule. So, there's a Lions versus Japan at Murrayfield. South Africa versus USA at Tottenham. South African French Barbarians at Newcastle. Uh, Lions versus USA at Newcastle. Lions versus South Africa A at the London Stadium. Uh, South Africa versus Japan at Tottenham. Lions versus French and Barians at Twickenham. Then Lions, South Africa at Murrayfield. Lions, South Africa at Principality. Lions, South Africa at Wembley. And Lions, at South... Twickenham. That's the proposal.
1: If I was the marketing Surely... man, it would be South Africa versus Japan in Brighton. In
2: Brighton, yeah. That's yeah. what I was about to say. Um now on on Doug's point, I don't know whether the RFU are giving clubs fewer tickets or less access to tickets. I've I've asked through the club multiple times and never once have I managed to get any tickets through the club. When I was at uni, I was uh, up in Edinburgh and um, the the vet school up in Edinburgh played anywhere between Scottish National Three and Scottish National Five, uh, and you could basically get as many tickets as you liked through the vet school rugby club for six nations an autumn international game so I, i went to every game in murrayfield for five years um and and that level of accessibility yes it's in murrayfield but that level of accessibility just isn't there uh through the through the clubs and i i don't know the rfu wanking them off to too many corporate gigs or or what or is it the the touts buying them up and sticking them on resale sites, or but getting I think, getting tickets I think there's is hard still an bloody oppi- work. There's
0: still an opportunity through every through every RFU um, to apply through the ballot for a ballot. Um, and I well, know
2: and I, d- like- I don't want to. I don't want to imply that Sumo's keeping them all for himself, although he does get to a decent number of games. But I've I've asked multiple times and I've never got any tickets for anything through the club. Well, I mean, actually, that's a lie. England Australia Autumn Internationals probably three or four years ago, and I had to pay twenty quid over face value to get it.
1: I mean, what I would say is, when we went to that uh, Premiership final, the the atmosphere there was exceptional because it was all rugby people, and 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 twi- Twickenham on International Day is not like that. Um, you know, there are a lot of rugby people there, obviously, because it's, it's such a huge stadium. But I mean, Doug, you know best. What do you reckon? 50
4: 50 or in terms of what the allocation will be
1: yeah
4: i think if there's anything less than a 50 50 split in terms of you know i don't know what twickenham will say whether all of the debentures will get their seats no matter what but if there's a lion store over here and the and the tickets aren't available on general sale i think there should be no table left unflipped between here and wherever the lion's headquarters is um it would be a crying shame if all the tickets went to people at work for, for standard chartered for it, for example yeah. yeah um i just i should caveat this by saying i have no knowledge of this situation whatsoever um this is just you know me reacting to twitter speculation and in no way is this going to happen for certain i don't know i don't know if sky looking at whatever i'm genuinely no Knowledge on this situation.
0: Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know.
4: Just in case anyone that I work for is listening.
0: (laughs) Well, well, caveated, Doug. Um. Yeah, I mean, I just think it would be great. I I think think we're we're all pretty. just,
4: Just the most brilliant thing ever. Summer. Even if you can't get to a game, get down your local club sit in the bar. Well, that's the
0: other thing is looking at this, look at this. The first, the first game is Saturday, the 26th of June, which is the Saturday after Saturday after all the restrictions have been lifted.
1: It's also the Saturday after my 40th birthday.
0: Maybe we could all meet up and get drunk, Ben. How about that? (laughs) Sounds like a plan, doesn't it? Um, Cool. Right. Um, well, we're an hour and eight minutes in. I've got to to add in my chat with with Connor from Wibble Rugby about his video. So uh, that's going to go at the end of this too. Uh, there was some premiership rugby this weekend. Um, game on Friday night, Bristol uh, put wasps to the sword, um, you know, fairly handsomely. Saturday saw uh, Bath with their revolving door policy at 10 Um they had they've got a few injuries. Priestland pulled out before the game, and then Schumann, who didn't impress anybody really with his defence, went off injured I think as well. So uh, the flying Fergie had to go in at ten, um, but they won at Newcastle quite handsomely. Exeter, I watched Exeter versus Quinns. Um I don't know if you guys watched any of the rugby on Saturday, Doug. I know you were. In. Um, Craig Maxwell Keys sucks the joy out of any game that he is in charge of
1: That I mean, could have been a lot worse. I wondered what you were going to say <laughs> then. It just
0: it is just the most like it's the most frustrating thing to watch. And you know what I said before a couple of weeks ago about some referees all you hear is the TMO or or the the, the um the assistants, that's all you hear. And then other referees, you don't hear any of them. Carl Dixon was relatively poor on Friday night. Maxwell Keys for both teams on Saturday for, for Harlequins was, well, was just abysmal. Um Sam Simmer, no, not Sam Simmer. Janis Kirsten and Stu Townsend. Stu Townsend scored a try. They peeled off the front of the line out. It was a short throw. Kirsten took it. And him and Jack Inard rolled around the front of the line out in the five meter channel. And they spent five, the best part of five minutes looking to see whether Jack Inard had got in front of the ball carrier when, when they went down the channel and sort of blocked off the tackler. Now, the first replay clearly showed Kirsten coming round the corner and then Inard binding on and running with him a sort of to the side stroke behind him. That was the first replay. It was clear to see yet. He spent the next four minutes going, Oh, uh, oh, I'm not sure. Can you show me this angle? Can you show me that angle? No, Craig, you're a fucking absolute walloper. Get in the bin, <laughs> right? Get in the sea. Stop refereeing rugby matches and refereeing the joy out of everything. Um, so, but Exeter were lucky. I think, you know, Carlequins played well. The pitch at Exeter needs some uh, some rest, I think. I think they're training on it a couple of times a week. Their ladies are playing, the women's team are playing on it, they're playing on it. I don't think it is actually as bad as it probably looks on television. Everyone said, Oh, it's a mud bath. I don't Who think cares? it's a mud bath. But it just doesn't have a lot of grass on it. So visually well, I'd, it I'd look care good. if they were right fifty so cool. yard
4: passes, you know if they were trying to play a uh, ticky tacker on it, but they're not, they're beating other teams up on it. It doesn't matter how <laughs> muddy it is. Doesn't
1: uh, really affect a role in Mould, does it?
4: No. no. And uh, Dave viewers
0: was, was basically two players on Saturday. He was, he was incredible. Um, Doug, you were at Northampton for England versus South Africa. Um, your favorite, your favorite, uh, your favorite team and your favorite head coach. Any, anything to, to report from, um, from that North game? Northampton
4: need to work on their crocodile um, Rock. box kicking. Uh, sorry, the uh, caterpillar for the box oh. kicking. <laughs> right. uh, if you compare and contrast how Northampton do it, to how Exeter do it, it's an absolute shambles. Um, it was nice to win a close game. Let's, let's leave it at that.
0: Good. And then you were, all, you were also at um, Brentford yesterday for London Irish versus Worcester. Um,
4: yeah.
0: And Worcester, who have been building pieces for 15 years, as we mentioned. I said a few weeks ago that I thought they were getting better. Um, I'm not sure they are, are they? Nick David's good, though. Did any of you watch this? I watched a little bit, but not enough to form an opinion.
4: Worcester are all over Irish. They've just got no cutting edge whatsoever. And they're they're a reflection of their fly half. I think Billy Sell's just not very good. I think he's probably a championship player at best. Um, that they, they they have they have nothing. I mean they really miss players like Bryce Heem um and the former non husk of Francois Huhard. Um,
0: <laughs> Is he just a beautiful human now? He's, just, it's just, a, he's just a
4: beautiful man with a nice car, I think. Um, whether or not it's in the game plan, but he, he just doesn't seem to take any of those. He's not as aggressive in defence. He, he, you know, he used to be jackling and winning turnovers. He, he's just anonymous around the park now. And he also seems to just not be sniping or taking any chances. He, he's just a very... It seems like either he's been coached out of being a good player or he's just lost it. He's definitely not the player he was. Um, And yes, Nick David is good, but one man does not a team make.
0: Correct. Um, Blair Cowan, on the other hand, um, 35 tackles. I, I watched him hobble off the field and leave in London Irish with 14 men at the end because he literally couldn't walk. He's (laughs) He's he <laughs> was one of the fucked. best
4: players in the Premiership, and one of the most. I can't believe it's a testament to how strong Scotland's back row is that he's not even in that, anywhere near that squad. Because he's probably one of the best players in the Premiership. Every time I see him, he's consistently brilliant. He made the transition from Irish to Saracens last season, didn't he? For or was it the season before? For a while? season before, one of, their, for a bit. One of the best players at Saracens during that se- that stint. He's just he's a fantastic player. And it would be an asset. Any kind, I think is just a bit wasted. Um, is he a little bit old
0: now, Blair Cowan? Like,
4: he is old, but there's no—you know—it doesn't matter how old you are if your quality does it. If you're old enough, you're good enough. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, essentially.
1: In didn't, in um, reverse, didn't Brophy Clues like break a record for backs tackles as well?
4: I don't know. Maybe. I
1: think. I think I saw that somewhere. Don't know, mate. Don't. Know, That's but... tackles by a back rather than. <laughs> back tackles. <Back. laughs>
0: oh, he's got a fat back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's go home because we've rambled on for long enough. Um, Doug, do you have any other business this week?
4: Yeah, I just I was just um, browsing the Lions official app- uh, apparel store and um, the official. If you want to buy as a bloke, not the uh, not that there should be any reason why you want to. But if you wanted to buy the shirt, shorts, and socks for the British Iron, British Lions kit, what do you reckon it cost? One hundred
0: and nineteen pounds ninety nine penneth.
4: One hundred and thirty quid. Wow, one hundred and thirty quid to be a full kit. For, Forty quid for the match shorts.
0: <laughs> but, but, but why? I mean, who's buying those?
4: I, well, I bought the last uh, the last um. Matt shorts, I like wearing them during the summer in the garden. I wore them to training once and got them so muddy that they... Come loose at the side, Doug. They almost didn't make it. <laughs> um, the boy's escaping from the barracks. <laughs>
1: it's, uh, it's, it's not a cry for help.
4: Uh, the, the junior kit. So if I wanted to get Ollie and George a little lion line shirt each, 55 quid each.
0: Just for a shirt? Yeah. All the money,
4: men. Scandalous. There you go. Killing the game. Killing yeah, the game. wonder Canterbury don't give anything away anymore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Phil? Yeah, just a couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, I just want to give a shout-out to Cornish Chillies, who are a local company who makes some absolutely fantastic chilli jam. Um, I have received zero payment for this this is purely from the goodness of my heart it's not an ad no um but yeah well it is an ad but it's not a paid one um but yeah absolutely fantastic chili jam absolutely lovely stuff worth picking some up if you can so that's Cornish chilies where, um, are, they and, where are they based uh just up from Winner's Perch just outside St Column
0: oh St um, Column side of Winner's Perch this is niche isn't
2: it it is indeed <laughs> yeah um if you're Cornish you'll know where it is up by the Bird of Prey Center.
4: Um I know cracking uh, yeah, crack owl sanctuary. It owl
1: sanctuary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you laugh, you laugh, but where I walk Baxter is a place called the Screech Owl Sanctuary.
2: Um which is nowhere was, near
0: the Long Stanton Spice Museum.
2: No. Um and uh, the other thing was uh Obviously, you guys know, I don't know whether the wider podcast audience of three know, um, we were supposed to be buying a chicken farm about halfway in between where, where we currently live and where Russ lives. Um, and we had an offer accepted on it in November, and it all went quiet about six weeks ago. And then we found out last week that the bloke was having second thoughts about whether he actually wanted to sell it or not. And then he came back on Friday and said he was pulling out, he's no reason no particular excuse. You just didn't want to sell anymore. So us having spent a couple of thousand pounds on surveys and searches and all kinds of things that we've never even had the results for. And we've got a solicitor's bill coming at some point that will be for, for an unknown amount. The guy just changes his mind and decides he doesn't want to sell. So as far as I'm concerned, he is dead to me now.
0: <laughs> Buying a house and, and other associated stuff is the biggest cunt's trick ever in it. It, it like, should be, it's it should be pretty bonds,
2: straightforward. It money be, for old rope. You want like, this? I'll I'll pay you that amount for that. There you go. There's the money. Here's your house. Done, sorted. And it's just become a monumental pain in the rectum.
0: Estate agents, solicitors, searches, surveys. What a load of old bollocks!
1: You, you sell know, me the house. You know what it was, don't you, Phil? Was that he's got. He's got massive sheds with 20-foot chickens.
4: <laughs> and they're thinking, why am I so massive? Why
1: am I so big?
4: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: he didn't want anybody to see. And They think, they think they're think they an airplane because all the other chickens are so small.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Phil, I wanted to mention to you, uh, I've taken it upon myself to try the cattle farm down the road from me that offer they they do all their own butch butchering and all that kind of stuff and i've i've okay. uh, nice ordered a meat box from the oh. my first ever one for 75 pounds worth of beef Doug, I, love it. I love it's a meat not box. your first meat box
2: <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine had a uh had a bullet killed and julie went oh here's 80 quid go and get 80 quids worth of beef um it was somebody who, who Julie worked steaks. with <laughs> well, no uh it was yeah no it was a flat rate nine pound a kilo whatever you want but don't take the piss and take all the fillet and don't take any mints um and I came back and I said to Why Julie Yeah, don't uh, take any mints
4: because <laughs> way over there
2: because the mints is worth a damn sight less than the fillet steak
4: oh I see
2: yeah don't don't go home with a bag full of fillet and leave all the mints behind
4: yeah. that's
2: that's that's kind of bad form like yeah. a flat rate nine pound a kilo, and I came home and I said, "Yeah, got got some really nice stuff, Julie." The uh, the problem is you owe Sarah another two hundred quid.
4: <laughs> i, I has <laughs> got, carc- got a carcass at a trailer. <laughs> yeah. I went to my dad's house and opened the freezer up, and there was just a lamb in there, like yeah. just a, just neatly cut into pieces, but in the shape of a lamb. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that t- that <laughs> takes some skill to replace them back
4: in the same positions. <laughs> Oh, farming
0: chat! The long, the long butchery. I, podcast. I'll
4: um, I'll drop you a picture on the group when it uh, when it comes in.
0: Put it on Twitter.
4: People want to see it. People
0: want, the, to see, people want to see, vegans, see your meat.
4: The vegans won't
1: want to see it. But,
4: Post you know.
1: it. It'd be the um, it'd be the Longhorn podcast, wouldn't it? Oh, like it. Yeah. Uh, any other business for you, Ben? Butchery
0: or non butchery related?
1: Um, well. I wasn't going to, but now we're talking about butchers. I, 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 for anyone that's local, I recommend the butchers in Perrenpore. Chapmans, they're really good. <laughs> and they do, they do giant pigs in... This is the most... Do
4: they do chocolate <laughs> oranges?
1: They don't. They don't, I'm afraid. But they do giant uh, pigs in blankets. They're, uh, they're about the size of your fist. They're
4: fantastic. Chocolate oranges are available from Rawlinson's.
0: I mean, like, we're recommending local village.
2: Boys. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, you know, it, if you're not used to this by now, then this is gold. This is absolutely gold. I haven't really if you're it
1: still it. listening because you want to hear Wibble Rugby,
0: yeah. Well, you, you will listen to Wimble Rugby who will be coming was, up in a minute. And if you're still listening at this point, please hashtag uh, local butchers <laughs> and uh, hashtag, hashtag uh, Cornish chili. But we'll see. Right, I haven't got anything anyway. So on that note, I'm going to let you guys uh, go on your way. Um, we'll be back next week with the common of the Six Nations. Uh, and some other stuff probably um, we'll be recommending some uh, local cauliflower growers and um, daffodil pickers. So uh, which are mainly Eastern European. Uh, I will see you all later on. Go well. The Podcast Connor, hope you're well. Well, thank you, Russell. Well yourself. Yeah. Good mate. Good. Um, I'm ashamed to say that I only discovered your channel and your um, your Twitter earlier today when when it was linked in through somebody else and I spent 40 minutes of what should have been my working day watching the the video that you produced on and you launched on Friday night about England
4: yeah and Eddie so, Jones's
0: uh selection policy and his tactics now a lot of England fans will be you know have been chomping at the bit to have a go at Eddie Jones what made you what made you put get into making these sort of videos, first and foremost, and, and then more specifically into to the one about England's tactics? Well,
3: um, I've always played rugby to, like, a relatively average OK level, I suppose. Yeah, you know, I was always quite skinny growing up. But the thing is, I was always really interested by the tactics in particular and, like, the selection of certain players and why, you know, certain players were playing and why teams were playing in certain ways. Uh, like especially they came to a bit of a head in 2015 where there were you know, Stuart Lancaster obviously picked really good players, but very unfamiliar combinations. And to a certain extent for me, it was more about with when the mainstream media had an absolute field day, you know, about, you know, you couldn't really fault them, but when Jones came in and started picking Ford, Farrell and Joseph at 10, 12, 13, you could see what they were trying to do. And unfortunately a lot of the mainstream media still said, this is not going to work. It's not long-term. It's not going to, you know, England aren't going to win world cups like this. And in, hindsight they did, but they were they came closer than they did in 2015. So essentially it originally it started with the 1014. I started working with the 1014 the rugby analysis who just started writing articles. And all I wanted to do was kind of share a little bit more this is why these players are getting picked. This is listen, just try to provide a bit more of an informed opinion, you know, in terms of like blokes who are just slating off players. Let's try and see why they're being picked. And then from there, it got into um, Rugby Pass and so on. And then Squid Rugby came along, Robbie. And he gave me all the advice and everything in the world that someone could want to really start up their own channel. You know, the software to use, you know, tips and tricks on how to get it working. And there, before you know it, I was uh, like, yeah, let's, get, let's give this thing a whole thing a go.
0: Amazing. I mean, the the level of detail and the production of your videos is is fantastic. And as I say, having watched what's the one specifically from this week which is which is how i've i've found you that it just it just goes to show even people that know a lot about rugby and rugby fans and love the game when it comes to the slightly more intricate things around tactics i mean the the things around the the 223 pods the 1322 two pods like it doesn't to the to the layman It's, it's just setting up a structure and it's just, Oh yeah, there's a big guy. There's a big guy. There's a big guy. Spin it wide. But it obviously a structured game plan and and all those little things are, are a lot more intricate and, and having watched your, the video, it breaks it down to such a level that I think I could have shown my five year old lad and he would understand. And Mm. that's, that is such a powerful thing to be able to do so you know how how did you find putting all of that together and 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 really breaking that down
3: well I always kind of ask myself a question when I do my videos and it's basically would a bloke reading the Daily Mail understand this it's kind of <laughs> along those lines it, I, not not to besmirch any of my parents read the Daily Mail I can't really complain but it's just for example I, the, that's the audience that I've got I'm currently studying for performance analysis at Hartbury University I'm working with Gloucester at the moment And essentially what my whole deal is, is what I want to do is I want to break down a game plan so that it can bridge the understanding between the more professional level and the average fan. So you can actually explain what a pod system is. You can explain why certain players are involved in it. And that at some point you do have to kind of like, I mean, for example, you can't go into carrier position and tackle area and all that kind of jazz for every single pod and the way that they do things. But at the very least, you know, not without losing your audience completely. But you can give them enough of what you're doing, like in terms of the, in terms of the structure, in terms of the pattern of things that they may not have seen before. That just basically give them little tidbits about why these guys and answer their questions. Why are these players being picked? And that's what I wanted to do because if, I, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan of obviously like I'm a big fan of Eddie Jones. You probably guessed it. But in ter- I've been a big fan of Australian rugby since I was a kid. My fir- first coach was a big fan of the McQueen method, but. Essentially, I was always a fan of you can see what he's doing, and you can see it's maybe not working all the time, but you can see that it's a long term plan. And that's why, you know, you've got like Sam Simo, who I think really should and could be in England 23, yet he's not in at eight for that specific role. When, it's, when he's got big flankers like Exto can actually assist with that carry yeah. option. They don't necessarily have that in England with the Kamikaze kids who are very mobile, hyper brilliant um, categories and really fast around the pitch, but they're not big bulky ball carriers.
0: Yeah, they're not doing the donkey work. Like at Exeter, the mm-hmm. debuters, Yanis Kirsten, uh, Vermeulen to a certain extent, and then you've got the likes of Sam Skinner playing in the row and, exactly. and, and others who do a lot of that that heavy heavy lifting as such. And and you mentioned Sam Simmons there. Marcus Smith will be another one that, that will be mm. talked about. Um, but if you're you know looking forward to to 2023, there is that there is that long term game plan. And mm. you know Farrell's been at 10 while you know Ford was carried a bit of an injury, and there was a lot of criticism about the way that England played negatively, especially in the autumn and mm. eddie jones came out and said well we're, you know we're focusing more on defense this autumn and now simon amos came in he's had a bit of time to get his feet under the table and you mentioned it in your video you know his his methodology is working back through brian ashton and the, the italian guy who i can't remember his name right now but uh um, yeah,
3: french, yeah yeah, like, yeah.
0: and uh, sorry the french guy and he um you know, it opens up a wealth of possibility and, and you can see, and you can see now almost what he's trying to achieve. So, you know, from a, from a fan's point of view, it really, really makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Uh, Essentially. That is the,
3: that is the goal because there's, it's admittedly, that is my perspective. That is my personal opinion on it after watching England games and so on and so forth. And, if you look at the, it's, I, I like to liken it like a jigsaw puzzle. If you get about eighty percent of this, eighty percent of it all sorted, and then you have twenty percent you don't know, you can usually figure out if you get things in the right place. Which is why, like for example, you can see why Billy fits into that role and why Simo wouldn't necessarily. Yeah. You can see why George Ford is being picked. You know, you can see why Owen Farrell is needed at twelve for that second receiver, even though Sladey is now coming in more at that second receiver option, and. Yeah. I mean, I've I've realized I didn't probably ask you for the last question in regards to the production stuff, but I suppose it's just to try and get a bit more of an informed view as to the casual rugby fan about why blokes are doing this. You know, that's, I just wanted in this case to get not people off Eddie's back, but just to show them what he's doing, you know, so that everyone can see what he's doing so that they, they're not judging, but so they can actually see that he doesn't plan, you know, and people start calling for the sack and that kind of jazz. And obviously if it reaches enough people, that's awesome. But as long as people can see what's going on, yeah. I'm happy.
0: And that, and that's the, that's the key, isn't it? It's, mm. it's people, you can give people as much information as you want mm. in, in any way, sort of shape or form. And it's up to them how they, how they interpret that. But, you know, like I said, what you, what you've done with, with that video specifically has made me realize more about the, pe- the personnel that are employed in each position to mm. successfully deploy those those pods and be able to run that particular system. Um, there was one particular point in the video where you mentioned, you know, the, specifically the game on Saturday where Farrell was found himself clearing out in a ruck where he shouldn't really have been clearing out in a ruck. And, no, it I'm it, and it meant that England couldn't deploy the attack that they probably could have deployed because Owen Farrell was a piece missing from that jigsaw at that particular time. And it's not until you actually you actually see that slow down and you know, it's not something that a layman would, would necessarily pick up during the heat of the game. They would just see, okay, there's there's a load of players there and this, you know, they they've decided to hit it up the middle and up the middle at the middle, rather than go, actually, they didn't go wide here because of this, when they probably would have done had he had been there.
3: See, I think that's forty's influence, personally. Like 40 40- uh, Squidge Rugby did a video about George Ford, like and the perspective what he brings, and I've been a fan of Ford since twenty, like since he first came on the scene, twenty fourteen, because what he can do, and this is where Marcus Smith is a brilliant player. You know, he's a, he has done him wrong. He's tearing up the Premiership right now, but in terms of controlling and varying the game, I think there's no one like Ford in the world in terms of particular in picking the right pass at the line, which is exactly what he does. I mean, in the video, we show that he's under Amor, he started taking the ball right to the line so much. And it's all to, it's all to try and put guys into that 13 channel to try and give Billy one-on-ones with, you know, the, the outside, their opposition outside backs. And then after he knows when to stand off and to let the nine run the game when it's off nine and they just need to, like, he's just the and get a thing in place. Yeah, it, it is... It is a very specific skill set, which is why I'm very fond of George Ford in that regard, because I think it's just it's problem solving as the game is going, which is exactly what I like to see.
0: I, I agree entirely. And, and I like to see, you know, George Ford is still a relatively young man as well. People forget that. Mm. And I far more enjoy watching England and, and the experience that we get as a viewer, as a fan with George Ford at 10. Than we do, than we yeah. that we have seemed to have got with Owen Farrell at ten, where where the the game plan, perceived game plan, let's call it, has been mm. a lot more negative and a lot more stifled. I think is is probably a better way to call it. Where you know a lot of it seems very structured and by numbers around this kicking game. Now mm. you know there's been a lot made of, of England's kicking game, especially in the autumn. Uh, against scotland it was you know it was poor <laughs> no so yeah. a, a good kicking game and a good kicking plan <laughs> is an, a fantastically legitimate and and very well used tactic and uh, but if you don't execute that properly then you are leaving yourself open to a, a multitude of 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 problems 100 percent. Oh, one thing that you really,
3: it kind of shone out in the France game is that England knew when to vary the game. And I think that's what France didn't quite know is that, and they're still learning, they are going to be a massive force come 2023. They're going to be huge. But what I really liked about England's play is that they knew when to play territory and they knew when to to kick. I mean, remember that chase with Johnny May and you got literally the face where, well, I won't say a a rude metaphor, but you can can get the idea But basically he's herring after it. And that's one thing that England always do, because England rotate their chasers in kick chase. They actually, they'll actually send, this is why the back three have to be so fit and why it fits into Simon Amor's system, because George Fordy will kick a long pass and there's always a chaser trying to pressure the receiver and therefore pressure the kick. And there was sequences in the Autumn Nations Cup where it went on for eight, nine, 10 phases every single time. There was an England chaser who was pressuring the um, England kicker, and it, it alternated between May, Daly, Watson, and even Farrell. You know, because Farrell alternated backfield, but England consistently cycled their backfield to make sure that they have fresh blokes coming through and pressuring the kick kicker. And eventually, that resulted in great—that uh, resulted in great field position from. And that's what they really. That's why I think they were doing in the Autumn Nations, personally speaking. That combined with the fact that they've now developed this ball-in-hand game and they're starting to actually show a little bit what they can do. it's They're not just kicking willy-nilly. They're actually tr- trying to run out of, not just, the, but near the halfway line. They're trying to run out of that area, but they have that smarts to change tack and go, okay, it's starting to piss down with rain here. We need to get play in their, in their half.
0: And I think that that's the biggest key to it all, is the ability to switch between plan A, plan B, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have to have a run, you have to have an, affi- an effective kicking game to keep a defence honest to establish a run game. It's a lot like American football in yeah. in that respect. If you've got no run game, your pass game is going to be easy to defend a pass. Whereas if you've got no kick game, sorry, if you've got, yeah, if you've got no, um, if you've got no pass game and you just kick all the time, then the defence can be a lot more passive and know and know that you're gonna you're gonna kick it anyway so you know and and as I say there's been a lot made of of what is perceived to be uh one-dimensional tactics in previous games from England with Farrell at 10 more often than not um Mm. because I think he he is that he is a different type of game manager than what George Ford is but it's it's so interesting to to see a different perspective on that and to see it broken down in the way you do it did, you know, I've said it before is, is, it was, it was a really, really interesting watch. And, and I'll look forward to, to seeing more of your stuff, hopefully coming up and, uh, and hopefully maybe get you back on at some point to, to chat through some other stuff. You're saying you're working with Gloucester at the moment um, while studying at heart are you, are you looking to, to get into the into sort of analysis and stuff full time.
3: That's exactly the point. Yeah, I'm originally an IT infrastructure engineer, which uh, is as painful currently as masturbating with sandpaper. <laughs> so essentially, I'm trying to get a little bit out of that because it's not my passion. And I find myself watching like YouTube videos half the day anyways, and uh, of old games. And yeah, like eventually I saw a targeted ad and uh, like, for Harbury and I went for it last summer. And then I had, the, I had the interview and I got the place within about 10 minutes. So that was all Amazing. I needed.
0: And
3: I've never looked back.
0: Well, congratulations. Best of luck going forward. I mean to say I'll look, keep looking out for, for your stuff. I'll I'll post and make sure I post a link to your video in in, in our Twitter and stuff when, when we send this podcast out and, and that'll be out either tonight or, or tomorrow morning. And uh and Connor, we'll hopefully catch up soon. Thanks very much for your time. Cheers,
3: Russell. Thanks for having me on, mate.
0: No worries.